This is Judy Matheson, British actress from Hammer Horror and lots of other things. And uh, I think you should listen to the wonderful Without Your Head. Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Issa Lopez, writer and director of Tigers Are Not Afraid, which is coming out on DVD and the Blu-ray Steelbook May 5th. It's very cool to have you back on the show. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to to keep on talking uh, because people are still want to hear something about this movie, so let's do it. Yeah. Now, I saw it at uh, Boston Underground Film Festival in 2018, which you were there. And uh, so it's, you know, had festival run, there was on Shutter, and now it's coming out on Blu-ray. So what's been like this experience like to see your movie, you know, go all over the world and, you know, eventually uh, get a physical release? Well, it's, you know, it, this is a movie that when we finished it, me and the producing team felt that it, it had something that it was different out there, that it was doing, approaching two genres and mixing them. It had something to say. We put it out into the world, and uh, for an entire year, it got rejection after rejection after rejection in all the festivals, all the different festivals around the world. And it, that was so disheartening and made me question everything from the quality of the film to my own quality as a filmmaker. But then it found its place in the genre circuit. And um, uh, fans of the supernatural and horror embraced and championed it. And it took this entire second life, which was amazing. And it's still going on. Did an entire year of festivals around the world and then had a theatrical run in the U.S. Um, with lovely reviews. And now it's, it's getting a... a steel book with um, with all the extras I could think of they would say yes we'll put it there so there's set stills and there's set designs and character concept and uh, casting calls with the, with the young actors and there's a theater of 45 minutes on how we made a movie so it's just such a joy that I will be able to own it myself and um, mm-hmm. and even if, if streaming services disappear it's a, it's, a, it's a thing that exists in the real world. And, uh, and I, this is it. It's, it's, it's the perfect ending to a story that started in a struggle and ended up uh, in love from a lot of fans. It's been a really beautiful journey. Yeah. I love the movie. It was one of my favorite movies of that year when I saw it originally. And um, it's got so many great visuals, like, uh, you know, the kid in the, um, in a hollowed out TV and, uh, some of that stuff was all that stuff in the script or some of those things like you might happen to see like a, a TV where you're filming and like this would make a good visual for the movie. 
A little bit of both. Um, for example, the kid in the TV, that's in the first draft of the script, you know? And then um, I had this approach to, to writing a script that you do your absolute best, no doubt, in a first draft, but that's not a script. When you go to the second and the third and the fourth, uh, even the scenes that work, if you give them a once-over and you question how can you make that scene extraordinary or unique or unforgettable, what can you do? Because the events are there. Whatever needs to happen in the scene is there. What else can we do to make it unique? And, and that's where the visuals come. And uh, what happens is uh, when I start working on a movie, even before writing from conception, I start putting a file, at the beginning a little file, and eventually it becomes massive of visual references. So I, I found war photographs where one of the kids would have the number of a soccer team drawn with marker on his back. And I, stuff like that, I felt immediately had to be in the movie. So slowly, Scenes that are about solving one conflict, for example, my gang of small characters faces a gang of older kids, and there's a, a very, very angry exchange between those two. And I have that scene. And I had the question of how should I make it unique and extraordinary in a way that reflects the world I'm trying to create here. And that's where the burning piano comes in. And, and makes it striking. And you try to do that in everything. Those are the visuals. Yeah. There's a, so one of the things I really, because a lot of contrast in the movie, because it's like kids still trying to be kids because they're kids, uh, but so many awful things going around them. Like even uh, there's like a police tape and they're still trying to play like, you know, because playing around while there's like a dead body there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like. That comes from 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 studying how children behave in war zones, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I could say, like, a lot of people, middle-class people in Mexico will tell you, I, I've never been in a war, and that's a lie. It's happening around you. And, uh, and pretty much the same way that the pandemic is happening around us, and, and we're still going on with our lives and being ourselves, is, is how it happens in a war zone. That said... I did went through endless uh, visual research into what was happening with kids in refugee camps, kids in Syria, et cetera, et cetera. Everywhere you would see them playing. Yeah, I, yeah. Just yesterday, I kid you not, I saw a video and it was both heartbreaking and so touching of little kids, Syrian kids, playing in a refugee camp in Jordan. And they're playing in the boxes where, in the large boxes where their shoes, their new shoes were delivered. And they're having a blast just getting inside the boxes and hiding from each other. It's just the human spirit. And it's what kids will do. They have this incredible resilience of jumping between tremendous grief to play. Well, I think like in the movie or in real life, the imagination uh, keeps them away um, from some of the horrors, and then in the movie that progresses into into you know like a supernatural elements. You know, uh, and do people ever ask like what happens? Is it real or is it in, in her mind? That happens a lot. Uh, for me, I know 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens if it's real or if it's important? I, of course, I know. You know, as a storyteller, you do need to know. Uh, yeah. And if you look closely, that the hints and the clues are there to figure out if it's only on her head or not. Um, but I get that question a lot, and for me, it's a really interesting question because it says. I often ask, "What do you think?" Because the answer to that question will tell you a lot more about the one asking. Um, the movie, in a way, is the clash between Estrella's word, world and Shine's world. And Estrella's world is a world where the dead walk uh, on our side and the supernatural exists. And Shine's world is a, is a world where there's nothing but ourselves. So um, depending what you read, when you see the movie, if you think it's in her mind, you're more shiny. And if you think it's actually a wider world that she has access to, then you're more Australia. It's more interesting to figure out who you are than what the movie <laughs> is trying to say yeah. in that regard, I think. So since you had a chance to see the movie at different locations on the festival run, uh, did audiences in different parts of the world um, react to the movie differently? Absolutely. In in a way, you know, uh, what I was saying is um, when you're shooting a movie, you honestly don't know what uh, what you're doing. You're you're in the middle of the experience and 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 it becomes focused on what the problem you have to solve that day and you hope for the best. And then it comes together and uh, and you don't really know what you did until you sit in a movie theater with an audience. Um, what happens? What happened with Tigers, which was lovely, is the fact that at an emotional level for, for the, the dire situation these kids are in, every place that I've seen it play in the world, they responded to that, to, to the dark side of it, let's call it. And I saw it in Korea, in South Korea, and I saw it in Belfast. I saw it in Amsterdam. I saw it in Boston, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, the humor is different. The movie has a component of comedy. These kids, as happened, they're so funny, even in the middle of, of this tremendous dark situation. And, uh, and I found that some cultures love the idea of, of having a moment of levity in this, and they respond, and I had very laugh laughter. Uh, for example, in Belfast, um, Mexico definitely is, is, is the Latin American sense of humor. But in cultures like, uh, like in the Netherlands, uh, in Amsterdam, um, it, it was a dead quiet. There was no sound to our, throughout the entire experience, yet they loved the movie. And when I had a chance to talk with them about it, is they found the moments funny, but they, they felt that they couldn't laugh in a movie where such dark events were taking place. And I think the difference is that cultures that are used to a certain degree of violence on their everyday lives, say Belfast, say Mexico, they simply know that you can laugh in the middle of this darkness. So that was different and that was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a that's another uh, defense mechanism, I think, be, being able to laugh along with your imagination, like in the movie. So, uh, Tigers mm-hmm. Not Afraid, I loved it, and not just because you're here. So, uh, people should definitely get it on May 5th when it comes out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD.
Thank I you. appreciate you coming. Yeah, and I appreciate you coming on. And it was very cool to meet you in Boston. Oh, it was. It was. You know, you've been here for the long ride. So thank you so much. Take care. Yeah. Take care. Bye. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. We should have listened. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming at night! Mostly! 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 Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming at night! This is Larry Fessenden from Glass Eye Picks, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Abner Pastol, director of A Good Woman is Hard to Find. It's very cool to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I got to see this movie, and I thought it was amazing. Uh, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> yes. And so it's premiering, uh, interesting thing, uh, Film Movement's Virtual Cinema on May 8th. Yeah, that's right. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Um, if I knew what it was, <laughs> I'm mm. just kidding. <laughs> no, right. um, basically, the virtual cinema is a way for uh, theaters that unfortunately have to be closed at the moment for obvious reasons. Um, they can pa- they partner up with Film Movement so that they still uh, get some uh, money for the for streaming the film yeah yeah so everyone works out it works out and supports the supports the local indie cinemas at the same time as enabling people to watch the movie so um you know it's not a replacement for the theatrical experience but it Mm -hmm. helps everyone to keep going in the meantime Yeah. yeah so what interested you in a good woman is hard to find um when i read the script it blew me away because the character of sarah was so real and so interesting to me and it felt i felt like she was a character that i needed to bring to life mm-hmm. yeah and uh when you ca- were you hands-on in the casting of sarah as sarah i absolutely absolutely was i when i read the script sarah bolger is actually the first and pretty much only person i could see in the role yeah. so um i was quite adamant to cast her in the film and it didn't take uh, that much uh convincing i we i literally just sent her the script and within 24 hours of sending the script to her, we were on a Skype call because she's over in L.A. shooting at the time. Um, and we would we, we would had a video call for a couple of hours and talking about the character and everything. And I just knew like we were on the same wavelength. She got the character. She was it's almost like this role was written for her. It's because she's really believable in the whole character arc from, you know, kind of the meek victim character to, you know, when she's becomes empowered. Yeah. Which is yeah. definitely strange. Because I think in some movies, I won't name any movies, but like uh, one or the other isn't as believable. Sorry, what? Uh, sometimes in, a, in other movies where there is a character arc like that, sometimes oh. the actor isn't as believable in either part, either the beginning or the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that even this character in the hands of another actor could have not been as convincing. I think that it's, uh, it's purely down to Sarah's uh, incredible uh, performance that she's able to even pull it off. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, there's a lot of tension built throughout the whole movie, you know, because you really wonder what exactly is going to happen for a long time. Well, through the whole right. movie, really. Right. Or even really what is happening. You know, <laughs> why is she doing what she's doing? Why do any of us do what we do? <laughs> right, right. Um, and I know you played at some festivals at, um, at Fright, right. uh, is it Fright Fest? Yeah, at Fright Fest in London, we were the closing film and we, uh, we were at Fantasia in Canada last summer. And a bunch of cool European film festivals as well. Yeah, I got I was the first time I was ever in London was for Freight Fest. Oh wow, it was that year? But uh, which year did you come? Um, let's see, it was 2018. Okay, okay. Um, it's possible that we could have crossed paths because I'm usually there, even if I don't have a film. Yeah. There. It's very well. It's a very large festival, so it's easy to cross paths and not realize it. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. What's that experience like uh, showing your film at a festival? Um, it's great fun. The crowd experience, ha uh, you know, being in the in the audience as they react uh, to the to the film. It can be nerve wracking when it's the first time, but once uh, once it's played with an audience once or twice, um, it's really about just enjoying experiencing that reaction with them. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's great fun. What are the what do you think the benefits are of uh, running a festival? The benefits of running a festival is really the whole community experience of you know um, sharing these films in an environment that you wouldn't necessarily be able to see them in together because not a lot of the a lot of films at, at many of these especially genre festivals don't get that sort of theatrical experience you don't get the theatrical experience with it i mean right now as the situation that we're in we don't we're missing out on the theatrical experience in general so i think uh yeah <laughs> that that for me is, is the main thing yeah and uh well, speaking of now what has that affected what what effect has the quarantine had on uh, independent film uh, that's a big question it's changing by the minute as well i i can't i don't know if i can answer that i for, for sure for sure i uh I'm having withdrawal symptoms from not being able to go and see, go, go to the movie theater and watch movies. <laughs> I agree. It's, it's the main thing I miss. I mean, I would go every week, uh, go see movies and, uh, the festivals when I could. And the, I mean, there's a lot of things I miss, but that's really the, the, the biggest thing I miss. Yeah. And in terms of like actual production, I, who knows? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's st I think it's still quite still early. early. Yeah. It's still early days to figure out exactly what's going to happen with that. But, um, you know, I'm I'm optimistic that we'll be able to get back to shooting things, but uh, I think we don't know in what context or how yet. Mm -hmm. Now, the movie is also really graphic in a lot of the, you know the violence. Not that there's not that it's really like a gratuitous movie, but the the few scenes of violence are very graphic. Right. And I also like how it deals a lot with um, the aftermath of the violence. What what do you do to? Uh, I don't give away too much of the movie, but what, what, you know, what do you do to clean up the uh, act of violence? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, that's one of the things that uh, I'm always drawn to in, in, in projects in general is like those kind of questions. What, do, what would you do in that situation? Uh, I think in the case of this movie, it's kind of realistic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if it makes sense. Yeah. 
And I was going to say, I think it's something everyone thinks about, but maybe it is. And maybe I just think about that because maybe it's just, uh, I'm estranged, but I do. Th- it is something I think of, not that I think about killing someone, but I think more of like, if that did happen, how, how do you, what do you do well after it's over? Yeah. How would, how would you deal with it? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah, there's a great movie. So the, uh, it was also at Fright Fest. So do, uh, I mean, at, at Scream Fest, do audiences in different countries take to the movie differently? Oh yeah, they do. Um, there's obviously there there are there are points in the movie where the reactions are quite similar, but uh, it's interesting to see how different cultures, especially when I was touring around Europe between France and Germany and Portugal, how they reacted to the humor in the movie in different ways, and that was very interesting to me. Um, yeah. But you know, even even the difference between Fright Fest and then Scream Fest in LA was. Uh, it, yeah it's it's uh every i mean every audience is different anyway but um it's i always i'm interested i'm fascinated by the different reactions yeah yeah and then um i think it's interesting too in the movie is like it seems like most of the other characters like think little of her which actually helps her uh to to kind of hide from from uh from what she's done that makes sense Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because in a sense, everyone's so condescending towards her and yeah. they look down on her. They they almost it's, it's like she can sneak around them because they don't take her seriously enough to think that she could even do anything in, mm-hmm. to those extremes. If that you know, it's just like she definitely uses that to her advantage. Yeah. Now I'm speaking to Sarah next week uh, for the movie, so I, I don't know this offhand. It. She is. You said she's in LA. Is she from America? Uh, she's Irish. Oh, so she is. Okay, I was just wondering yeah. about the accents. Yeah, no, that's her. That's her actual. That's her normal accent. That's her native tongue in the movie. Oh, okay, then uh, other things. It's I see. Yeah, um, but she uh, she is in LA. So uh, when you speak to her, uh, you can. Well, I'm sure she'll use her re- her regular voice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, was it hard to uh, to cast the son Ben? Um, well, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. I basically, the way that we cast both the kids was we held workshops in, uh, in Belfast in Northern Ireland, trying to find local, uh, children. And I was trying to find kids that could in a way just be themselves because I, the film is mostly focused on Sarah and I didn't want to I didn't need to find like a genius child actor. I just needed somebody that could be a believable child and not be d- difficult to work with. Um, the thing is with Rudy Doherty, who plays Ben, when uh, when we found him, he he has a sister in real life, and uh, I thought that would be that would be incredible to cast a real real life brother and sister. And yeah. the way that we put the workshop together, we had sort of boys and girls and we were doing these activities together and they each had to choose a partner. And I thought it's going to be perfect. If he chooses his sister, they will be natural for the movie. But of course they didn't choose each other. <laughs> um, and uh, he, and, and he got along really well with Macy McCauley, who plays his sister in the, in the film. And uh, they, they were like instant siblings at these workshops that we were doing. And uh, that's you know, essentially how we found them. Yeah. Where did you shoot the film? Um, so we shot in, we, it's a co-production, a UK-Belgium co-production. We shot in Belfast and then in Belgium. Um, so ha- half of the film is actually shot on a soundstage. Oh, really? Belgium. I wouldn't have guessed that. I really would have thought it was just shot, you know, in like actual places. 
I know uh, well, that that's uh, that we had a great production design. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so all of the scenes in Sarah's apartment that's uh, that's all the set. Well, because it really captured a lived in look, which you know sometimes it's hard to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, did you know the the writer Ronan Blake Blaney at all before uh, doing the movie? No, I didn't. So it's funny because I had just finished my previous film road games and it was a month before the world premiere of that movie at fright fest and i wanted you know i wanted to find a writing partner to work with on some other ideas of mine and uh my producer reached out to an agent in london and asked if he could send us some writing samples of some of his clients and he sent over five samples five scripts and one of those scripts was a Good Woman is Hard to Find by Ronan Blaney. And it blew me away when I read the script. And I thought, not only is Ronan somebody that I want to collaborate with, but this is actually a script I want to make. But because it was a writing sample, I didn't know if it was available or, you know, like what actually was happening with it. And uh, But it turned out that he had just finished writing the script like a few days before. And other than his agent, I was the first person to even read it. So that's how I found the script. And then on top of that, we connected really really well together we work really well together and we're actually now working on another project together so oh, nice. uh, so i'm i'm happy to have found that writing partner but in in a different way than i that i had intended and i yeah i didn't know him before the movie but now i feel like i've known him for my whole life <laughs> yeah so is the next movie uh in the thriller horror kind of realm um yeah we're doing an action thriller okay um it's quite quite different to Good Woman, but there'll be there'll be some uh, similar narrative uh, themes and whatnot. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like about uh, the festivals is uh, while they're genre like oriented, they're not sticklers for genre. Where I think some people go overboard, like arguing what a what genre movie is. Where I don't really think it matters as long as you like the movie. But uh, yeah. with if they're like sort of in the realm of horror, or thriller, or something, that that's all fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why it's an argument that people have sometimes. It's just I don't know. I, to me. I, I, I just look at I just look for good movies in general. You know exactly. Like, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. If pre, if Predator, if you think Predator sci-fi and not horror, I don't. Does it matter? Does, <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, it's it's both, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't. I never understood. It's well, just great. <laughs> right. So, uh, what are some of the movies that you watch that made you want to become a filmmaker? Um, oh, well, when I was a kid, Back to the Future was the film that made me want to become a filmmaker. It was just, it was uh, one of those first moments where I thought, like, actually, it made me want to be an actor. I wanted to be in the story. I wanted to, you know, be the one traveling back in time. And then I was lucky because my dad had all these film and video cameras lying around because he was very much into all of that stuff. And so I just picked up st- the, the equipment and started making my own little movies. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and that that just evolved. And as I watched films, I guess uh, it's funny you mentioned Predator because films like Predator and Alien and uh, you know they they really were huge influences on on me. And you know, as I was growing up, I would always love watching those films. Yeah. So uh, why aren't you ever on the uh, camera? Um, I do have cameos in my movies. <laughs> No, yeah, I meant you're. Uh, you said you wanted to be in movies, so I'm wondering why aren't why aren't you on camera? Why aren't you an actor in any of them? Um, I think my focus changed over the years. I much prefer working with the actors. Yeah. Um, 
you know it's like uh, it's one of those things that it's it 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 evolved as my you know from being a kid wanting to make movies the meaning of what a movie what 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 it is to make a movie has changed hmm. yeah so how about road games uh, is that online anywhere for people to check out yeah road games is available in the states on hulu oh right very now. cool so uh people can can watch that one too yeah, very good. I've not seen it, but because uh, I like a good woman, it's hard to find so much. I'm going to uh, check out your other work. Oh, great. Well, uh, Andrew Simpson, who plays Tito in A Good Woman, is the lead in Road Games. Oh, okay. So, very cool. So I, assume, nice. I assumed you like working with him then. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would be weird if you said no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just like to torture myself. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, a Good Woman is hard to find. Really, honestly, great movie, not just because you're here. Uh, that was fantastic. Great performances, uh, social commentary, everything. Was, uh, you know, and really uh, sick sound effects during some uh, some body uh, dismemberment. I have to say. Yes. Well, the sound effects are always the most fun because it's yeah. like adding adding on all those extra layers. Yeah. It, honestly, when uh, like I don't want to give when uh, when they're sawing through a body part, that actually made me cringe. <laughs> well, that's yeah. good. That means the the the, the work <laughs> was achieved. Exactly. And so uh, we'll have all the information up on the website for the film movements, virtual cinema. And that's very good. I like that. I like that it benefits everyone. So uh, we don't, uh, I know there's <laughs> on the bigger theaters right now, there's some uh, hollow blue between uh, right. uh, some movies. So th- this is good. It benefits everyone. So we don't have a situation like great. that. Exactly. This is great. Support the, support the, uh, the local theaters and independent film. And, you know, just it, enjoy watching movies whilst stuck at home still exactly and how about uh, can people follow you anywhere you're uh, online not your home <laughs> you can find you can find me on social media twitter instagram all that stuff just at my name at abner pastel all right very good well i appreciate you doing this um it's been great talking to you thank you for having me very good. thank you have a good rest of the day thank you you too thanks bye 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 Horror Pack is the most exciting way to grow your collection. Get four horror movies on Blu-ray or DVD each month. Special delivery. Subscribe now and soon Horror Pack will be arriving at your door. Join the pack. Horrorpack.com Join the pack. This is Mark Jones, the uh, creator of Leprechaun, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Well, welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Brandon Christensen, co-writer and director of Z, coming to Shutter May 7th. It's very cool to have you here. Thanks. Glad to be here. So I get to see Z. It's very cool. And uh, for people uh, who haven't seen it or seen a trailer yet, uh, can you give them an idea of what Z is about? Uh, Z is about a little boy who uh, develops an imaginary friend that terrorizes him and his family. It's a uh, a creepy kid film, which are which are always fun. So yeah. We haven't seen a lot of them too too much recently, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's scary. I don't want to give away too much because there is a lot of twists and turns in there that I want them to discover. But uh, yeah, check out the trailer. It, it it definitely shows some of the stuff that's in there. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Mm-hmm. I agree with that about not wanting too much, because uh, if you can, it's best to go into a movie without even seeing the trailer, I think. But with so many options, people kind of have to watch trailers. 
Yeah, and that's the hardest part too when you are making a trailer because you're you're um you know you're constantly battling with like how much can we show because you're you're battling with having to you know try and tease the audience to want to see it so you have to give away some of you know some of the bigger moments of the film but you're weighing that against what's the experience of watching the film going to be like if someone's already seen the trailer that got them interested in the first place so you're kind of you know it's always a battle like oh no we can't show that scare because that's such a big one because of xyz but then it's like, well, if we don't show it, then the interest in the, the film is probably not going to be as high as if we do show it. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, and yeah, so I, I think if you if you can go and watch it without seeing anything, that's the you know definitely the purest way of seeing it. But you yeah, know, you've got to get eyeballs. So of course, it's just unfortunate. Yeah, along those lines, because you know, with the rise of streaming sites, there are more platforms for um, for independent movies, and I, I'm a big fan of Shutter. Uh, but at the same time, I think, like you said, a double-edged sword, since there are so many platforms, uh, it's also harder for people to decide what they want to watch since there's so many choices. So I guess it'd be harder to stand out. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I think it's something that's, you know, there's new platforms going up every other week, it seems. You know, Quibi just came out, and that doesn't seem to have um, made a very strong impression on people. So it's you know, and that had, you know, so much funding and huge names behind it. It's just, it's such a crapshoot now that, um, you know, when a channel like Shutter comes around, it's, it's pretty exciting because people, you know, the horror community is so large that they were actually able to, to sort of jump onto this thing and it keeps building and growing and everything. And they you know, their, their original content just keeps getting better. So it's, um, it's kind of cool to see it happen because, you know, it is kind of a, it, it's, it's very, you know, it takes a lot of luck and a lot of hard work to, to stand out these days. Mm-hmm. Shutter does have a good mix of, uh, of content where it's got a lot of independent stuff that, um, I would have either seen on the, um, festival scene when there were festivals or, mm-hmm. you know, would be there now without festivals and a lot of cool older movies and, and a lot of uh, foreign stuff that you might not be able to see otherwise. And of course, Joe, yeah, t- <laughs> right. For sure. Yeah. It's just definitely, I mean, you know, horror fans are, they're an eclectic bunch and none of them are, you know, it, their, their tastes are very wide and varied. So, you know, a film like Z can can exist in a on a service that also has, you know, 80s horror and, and just, you know, the, the spectrum of horror is just so broad that it's 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 kind of cool that um, horror fans tend to just sort of they're, they're very open minded when they watch this stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So your co-writer on this, you also wrote um, Stillborn with uh, Colin Minihan. So how long have you two been working together? Um, officially working together since we worked on it stains and sands red, um, him and I have known each other for a long time and he, uh, he was just like online. We were friends as he was kind of making his way through the music video circuit, uh, in Canada. And, um, we just kept in touch and everything, but he was always on a, you know, a, a totally different level than I was. I was trying to follow his, like his footsteps and, and do music videos as well, but I just never really broke through like he did. Um, so then he got into features when he did Grave Encounters and Grave Encounters 2, and then uh, he did uh, Extraterrestrial. And uh, after that, he was trying to figure out the next project. And when he had the script for It Stands and Stands Red, I live in Las Vegas. And I was just like, dude, let's come to Vegas. Uh, let's just do it here. And so him and Stuart Ortiz, they came out and, um, you know, I, I took them around the, the city uh, for a couple of days and showed them all the locations that we could use and stuff. And so they said, all right, we're going to do it here. And basically a month later, we were in pre-production. So it was kind of a big leap of faith thing. I kind of dropped all my plans and spent the next two months, uh, you know, working on this film. But it benefited me because, you know, it led to Stillborn, which I wrote with Colin. And then, it, you know, it led to 
the and and all the other things that I've been working on. So it's you know it's been a it's been nice just to take that leap of faith and and have it pay off. Yeah. How does uh, co-writing work? Um. Well, with this film, it was me and my wife were the we came up with it and we wrote the first draft together. Um, and it had a lot of the stuff that is still in there, but the third act, which is in there now, wasn't there. And, um, Colin, when I, after the first draft, Colin and I looked at it and, uh, we just sort of brainstormed ideas and Colin's just like, you know, uh, he's a workhorse. So he's just constantly let's, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk, let's brainstorm. And so it's just throwing out any idea, good and bad. And the bad ideas, a lot of the time lead to good ideas and, um, this was a tough script to crack just to get that, what that thing was, because, um, it's dealing with imagination and that's not something that you can really show. So there was a lot of iterations on which direction we could take the final act and, and sort of the mythology, the mythology of what Z was. Um, so it was just, you know, months of conversations, just trying to figure out how we can improve what was already there and, and make it something that would resonate a little bit more. And so, and then we landed on, you know, where it ends up, where she moves in with Z and it's, it's totally just like this crazy idea that somehow, somehow works. But uh, what we would do generally is just a lot of brainstorming back and forth. Right. And we'd, we'd come up with a beat sheet uh, in like a Google, a Google doc. So we'd be FaceTiming and just sort of filling out these, these beats and the, uh, on a Google doc at the same time. And then we'll just sort of take turns writing parts of the script and going over the script with each other. And uh, sometimes if someone gets a flash of creativity, they'll they'll just sort of take it and write 10 pages and, you know, be like, here, this is what I got. What do you think? Um, but it's super collaborative. It's just, it's just a lot of talking, essentially. You're just trying to figure out what might work, what won't work. Because um, sometimes knowing what doesn't work can help you figure out what might. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you said, uh, mentioned, uh, it's hard to shoot like imagination. And, um, yeah, I think that's definitely true. And it, it can be scarier what people can imagine. So, uh, a movie like this, if you set up the idea of what, pe- what's going, what people, what someone might be seeing you, it might be scarier than, uh, than what you could actually film. Right. And I think that goes back to like, even when I was a kid and I remember watching, um, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining when I was in the sixth mm-hmm. grade on Halloween with my family and we're all we're all sitting there watching and then when there's a scary part my mom would always grab me cover my eyes and you're kind of stuck hearing these things and you're hearing the reactions in the room of your family all kind of twisting and turning and and, and you're just wondering like wow what is making everybody freak out so much and then so you start imagining these things that they might be seeing and it's far worse than what you know what's actually on the screen so I think that's a big part of it. And it, I mean, it goes to the, the jaws thing too, where they just yeah. couldn't show the shark and it ended up working to its benefit. So it's just one of those things. I mean, we had talked about things like having, uh, in the film, Josh has the, 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 the floor is lava thing. And we actually were considering at one point showing what the lava looks like later on, you know, like when, when she's starting to use her imagination more and just putting her into that seat. And it's just like, Okay, one that sounds like a lot of expensive visual effects that we don't have. You know, we don't have the money for that. But two, is it is it corny? Is it cheesy? I'm not. I'm not sure. And so we just we definitely kept it more. She's seeing it, and we're seeing it not through her eyes, but through what other people are seeing her like. And I think that might. It's a little more interesting just to be like, is she crazy? Is is mm-hmm. is she actually seeing this stuff? What's going on? Yeah, I, that's what I definitely like about Z, and I always like that in um, movies in general is. 
when you kind of question as if in their mind or if there's something supernatural and also the point where the characters will believe it's supernatural or not. Yeah. And it usually ends up being to their, their demise when they start to believe things and they, they fall into it. So it's always that, uh, it's like the man of science, man of faith. You usually have those two fighting up against each other and it, it doesn't make sense until it's too late kind of thing. It's like, Oh, if I had only supported from the beginning and I believed them, maybe things might've turned out different, but, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's definitely, I mean, the hardest part is that when you've got sort of this family unit, um, you have to find a way to tear it down because, uh, you know, there's more drama when you've got the characters kind of isolated and, and sort of battling each other while dealing with some supernatural, supernatural event. And, uh, so it's just, you know, it's always just interesting to try and slowly pull apart the seams of these families that seem on the outside to be pretty, to be pretty firm. Mm-hmm. So, um, what was it like to cast the, the, um, the character of Joshua, the kid? Um, it was actually great. Like you would think in a movie like this, that would be the hardest part. But, um, when we first started to do the casting process and just looking for background characters and stuff like that, we put out a casting call in Calgary, Alberta, where we shot and someone who is a friend of Josh's mom or Jet's mom, Destiny, um, saw it and sent it to her. And she, she emailed us immediately with his headshot and, it was, it was very strange. It was literally like 30 minutes after we made this post. And th- those posts are generally just to, to field a bunch of people. So you have ideas of, uh, of who's available around you. But, um, you know, for a lead character in a film like this, it, a lot of the time that comes through a casting agent and a proper casting process. But the very first headshot we got in the mail was of Jet and it had his, you know, he was in Skyscraper. He was in The Boy. He was in all these films that you're just like, it's like, oh, this is, you know, this is, who is this kid? And so we start looking into it more and we're, and, and you know, within an hour, we're just like, I, I think we have our kid already. And so, you know, we did the due diligence and we looked at other kids and we had other kids read, but it was just, it was always going back to Jet, just like, I think, like, it it shouldn't be that easy, you know, it should, it, that, that should be the hardest part of the casting process. But on this, it was strangely the easiest. So, yeah, we got, we got super lucky and it was a situation on set where, it was never like, oh, everybody quiet. The kids on set. The kids on set. It was just, you know, Jet was just one of the one of the people there. You know, he mm-hmm. he was a professional from the beginning. Maybe not maybe not after like midnight when he would start to go crazy. But that's <laughs> you know, it's kids for you. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. he was, you know, was, we got we were super lucky getting him, and mm-hmm. even luckier to get it as easy as we got it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what what did you think uh, was about Keegan that made her right for for Elizabeth? Um, I think it's important for her. She's a mother in real life. And so she definitely understands sort of the idea of, you know, caring for someone else and having those relationships and, and just knowing how important, um, you know, it is, it is to try and give your child a, a good upbringing. So I think she understood that when things out of your control start to happen and start to spiral out of control, um, just how devastating that can be. Cause you know, I mean, I think my favorite parts in the, in the, are when Josh is kind of uh, excommunicated from the rest of the, his classmates, like no one will play with him anymore. Um, and the mom, she, you know, she has no idea what's, what's happening or why it's happening. She's just sort of getting these small bits of information that things aren't right anymore. And, and she's just, you know, she's devastated because it's, it's like, Oh, it's out of her control. She doesn't know what she can do. I mean, what do you do when it's something that you can't see? Um, and so Keegan, she, she came on, 
um, pretty late in the process, a couple of weeks before we started shooting, but she started throwing out a bunch of ideas and she, she put a ton of work into it. And, uh, we, I mean, we've been a fan of hers for so long and, and every, people that we've worked with who have worked with her have said, spoken very highly of her. Cause I think in a film like this, when you've got a one character that's in 98% of the film, uh, you need someone that's willing to kind of go to war with you and have those relationships set up. And, 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 you know, you don't want that whole diva thing where, you know, they're kind of controlling the set and Keegan was so great at just coming out and just being like, okay, let's do this. She was game for anything. And, you know, she put, she put so much of herself into this role. It was, it was awesome to watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my, my favorite visuals of the movie, again, I don't want to give much away of it, but is, uh, when she boards the uh, the house up from the inside, I just thought that was uh, oh, cool. You just show it from from behind her, and it was a uh, it's a really cool visual. I thought nice, yeah. It's fun to kind of lock her away from. She just keeps getting punished by this thing, and mm-hmm. uh, just to keep, save her from herself, essentially, because she's uh, in a weird place at that point. Yeah. So uh, Sean Rogerson, you had also in uh, Stillborn, so I assume you like to work with him. Yeah, so he was um, he was in Grave Encounters, obviously, and that's where Colin met him. And when we were when we were casting Stillborn, we were because <clears throat> we didn't have you know a ton of money to do a huge casting process and throw throw money to a bunch of big names and stuff. So we we went at people that Colin had worked with before in the past, and uh, you know Jesse Moss had been an extraterrestrial, so they had a they had a friendship from that, and Sean Rogerson and him have been friends since since Grave Encounters. So it was a lot of just pulling from people that we knew were great. Um, and we had relationships with, so we weren't nego. you know, it was, it was a lot simpler process because, you know, these movies are made for, for pennies compared to what, you know, something else Jesse might work on or, or something like that. We just, so it's, it, it is a lot about building those relationships so you can have, you know, access to these people that you wouldn't if you were doing a traditional casting process. But, um, yeah, when, when I was coming up with the script initially, um, I just liked working with Sean so much. He's just such a great guy to have on set that uh, he was kind of always the pick when I was writing for him. It was just, you know, give it, you know, Sean was just kind of the guy. And, uh, you know, we were lucky that we were able to make the schedule work. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stephen McCaddy is the uh, doctor, is like the perfect casting. He is like the perfect voice to play uh, to play mm-hmm. that role. Very calming he's voice. Got that, yeah, he's got that face, too, that just yeah. is so cinematic. When you see him, he's just got these eyes that are kind of piercing you. Um, and he just there's definitely something behind there that you're, you're unsure about that he knows more than you do. And you want to know what exactly he knows. So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely a, you know, he's, he's been working forever. He's just sort of like one of those icons in in the genre. So it's, it was kind of fun to work with him. Yeah. Now, did you have an imaginary friend as a kid or know anyone who did? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, when I saw, I, it wasn't really an imaginary friend as much as it was, uh, when I was in kindergarten, I saw the it, uh, television show, okay. you know, when they, when they did the special and I was way too young to see that, but apparently my parents thought it was okay. But, um, that, that scarred me for years and years. And I, and while it wasn't really an imaginary friend that I played with, I had recurring dreams where my brother and I would basically kind of do a battle with Pennywise and we would lock him up in our closet and every, you know, uh, every night when you go to bed and you're looking in your closet, you're just like wondering if Pennywise is going to come out again. And then you fall asleep and you have the dreams and it happens again. And it happened for years and years. It was just a recurring, a uh, recurring nightmare that I had that uh, just sort of, 
um, you know, kept building and building on itself. And so it's definitely something that um, you think about when you're doing something like this, just trying to think back of what made what moments when you were a kid, you know, made you scared and all that stuff. Cause you kind of need to tap into that. Cause it's all about being, I mean, when you're in a house like that and it's your house and it's your safe space, when you start bringing these elements in, um, you know, and you're trying to no longer make that place that feels like home uh, be very safe anymore. Yeah. It's interesting. I actually been thinking a lot about uh, Pennywise lately because I walk a lot and uh, where I am, I live in a small town, so there's no one around, which is, you know, what you want. But there's no noise because mm-hmm. there's nothing open. There's no people. And so right. I never noticed before, but you can really hear the uh, the water running in the drains mm-hmm. when there's absolutely no other sound around. And it is a creepy sound just kind of hearing the water underneath you going. <laughs> Right. Like there's this whole other world below you where it's yes. gross and scary and you're just sort of totally oblivious to what, what the horror is beneath you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So were you always into horror? Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, as far as I can remember, I, you know, I remember renting, uh, going to the, the video store when, when those were still a thing when I was in elementary school and, and asking the person like, what's the scariest movie here? And they would give you their recommendations. And so many times they were just terrible. But, uh, you know, there was definitely a period in the 90s where the horror wasn't, uh, it was kind of not great. And, and so you'd, you'd end up watching a lot of things like Sleepaway Camp, which, right. which is terrific. And, yeah. uh, and it just, it was all about the box art, really. So you'd see mm-hmm. the Sleepaway Camp 2 box art, and it's got, you know, the, the woman carrying the backpack with uh, Jason's mask and Freddie's glove. And it's just, it gives you all these ideas of what this movie's about, which is never what it's actually about, but it, <laughs> right. you know, it, it sells Sucked you on you the cover. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. And and there was, there's always just something about being scared, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and just that feeling when you're with friends and you're just, it's just being scared together. Like uh, a friend of mine would always walk through dark alleys at night and just talk about things like, Oh, Michael Myers is over there and he's going to come get us just to see how we could feel. And just to get that feeling. Cause it's just, there's this weird visceral feeling that you get when you're scared that really isn't, you know, it's, it's just a very unique. And I think it's kind of cool to be able to tap into that for other people when you're, when you're doing something like this, because it's, you know, horror is so unique that it just makes, it makes you just clench up or it can make you clench up. And, you know, if you really envelop yourself, you're just, you're just sort of taken over by this feeling of dread for, you know, every frame coming, uh, every frame of every, part of the film you're just scared to see what's coming i, I think that's such an awesome feeling so what, what what kind of what movie is like made you think like i want to do this i want to start i want to make my own movies oh that's a tough one um i mean it's it's just been a when i was a kid you know we would have the we had a home uh, a video camera and we would constantly make stupid stuff and so it was just um it was always just fun to to just sort of experiment and play around. And I think that's such a fun thing about horror. Um, one, just being a fan of it, but then just being able to do like short films and stuff where you can play, you can be super creative. It's such a creative genre where you're not really relying on, you know, having star power behind the film or huge budgets or anything like that. Um, you know, true horror is just, it can be anything. So it can be small and it can be creative. And so I, you know, I've done a bunch of horror shorts uh, in the last decade and they're just kind of, they're just fun to see what you can get away with and see what you can play around with. Cause sometimes the gimmick behind the short is really all you need. And yeah. um, I think, I think it's just fun just as a filmmaker, it's fun to be able to 
to just get these reactions out of people and see, feel the audience kind of move. Like when you're at a film festival and you, you have a big a jumpy moment or a tense moment where everybody shuts up and they're all just, you know, glued to the screen. It's such a, such a rewarding feeling as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as any movies, I don't know if anything in particular, I mean, I grew up watching so many different things. You know, you watch your Jurassic parks, you're watching the breakfast club, you're watching all types of movies. That's, you know, still, to this day are my favorite films, but it's just the idea of just, you know, captivating and entertaining an audience that I think is the most appealing thing. Mm-hmm. Are any of your uh, horror shorts online anywhere that people can see? Uh, yeah, I actually just did a couple during the quarantine because the boredom and the animal right. crossing uh, fatigue set in. And so I, uh, I took my kids and I shot a couple that I've done. It's like a short series called scaredy cats. And I'm just doing it started off as an idea of how to make little cute horror for kids, but they ended up getting pretty dark. So I can't even actually show my kids, but uh, yeah, they're called, they're, they're called scaredy cats and they're on my, I have a YouTube channel. It's just, I think it's just Brandon Christensen. Um, oh, cool. And it's, it's got, I don't know, 10 or so shorts on it and tra- some trailers for some of oh, my no. stuff. But, I'll check uh, them out. I love horror. We just did uh last week. I did a, um, because of the quarantine, I put together an mm. online uh, horror festival for all horror shorts, and I used a lot of older ones oh, and stuff that's already online, so it wouldn't mess up anyone who had, uh, you know, distribution or or festival right. run. And uh, it was a way bigger turnout than I expected, and it's, uh, both the filmmakers and the people watch stuff was you know, really thankful because it was fun to watch, and a lot of people saw it that might not have saw it normally. And but it's just a really good time because there's so many uh, different genres of horror, like you said. And a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of weird creativity in the shorts that you might not see in a feature because it's like I said, it could just be like one joke or something that you can make work in a short, but you can't really make work in a feature film. Right. It's kind of like prototype films, you know, you can just it's just like, oh, this is this neat idea. I don't know how far it can go, but for this one moment and this one thing, it's it, it'll work really well. And and I mean these shorts, like the first one's only sixty seconds long. And it's built around one little thing and it's not, you know, it's not the most unique thing in the world, but it, it's, it's just cute because it's my kids and they're acting yeah. very seriously. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's fun because they've never acted before. And so now I'm giving them a chance to, to just sort of see what their dad does and how it <laughs> works. And they can't see the final product, but they can at least sort of see the process, but it was fun. Just, I, you know, it took a long time because I would be, I'd be filming a couple scenes at a t- or a couple shots and then they would get tired and start complaining and so I'd have to <laughs> let them go to bed right. and then try again the next day. And then the next day, like the second woman, it took about seven nights to shoot. Yeah. It was just sort of shot by shot by shot and shooting it in sequence and not doing it the proper way, but doing it the only way that will work with them. So, but it was fun. Um, yeah, definitely check those out They're They're, they're short and they're, they're cute and they're scary. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So stillborn also had children in it. So what is it about, uh, uh, children and horror that interests you? Um, well, I think the biggest reason is just cause that's sort of the life I'm living right now. When, when, when stillborn was, you know, came, came out of, came out of Colin and I, it was, it was shortly after I had my second kid. And so I was, she was about a year, year and a half at that point. So I had just gone through the baby phase again. And so it was easy to just sort of remember all these things, like just normal things that you do as a parent that you don't really think about until you kind of put the, the scary twist on it. <clears throat> so when you have a baby monitor and you're just checking to make sure that they're alive, you have those thoughts like, oh, well, what, what if, you know, what if something, something happened and someone reached into the crib right now and I'm across the house and 
it's just, you know, you just start going down snowballing these, these ideas of what could go wrong in these pretty benign situations. So it's, it's, it kind of extended to Z too, because I've got, uh, my oldest is eight. Now when we wrote this, he was seven, I think, or maybe six, I think he was six, but he was into kindergarten. And so he was, he was going to school all day, which was a new thing for us. And he would come home and he would have all these new, new ideas and new, new theories about stuff. And he would be telling us, and we're just, you know, for the first time in our lives, we're like, Oh wow, we're, he's learning things that we're not in control of anymore. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's no longer about what we're instilling in him. He's, he's coming, he's branched out. He's got his new ideas and these new things and we're slowly losing our, our grip on sort of controlling everything that he can do and what he learns and stuff. So when he comes home and he's got these weird ideas, you just go like, geez, where did you hear that? And, you know, if you start taking that idea and putting a negative and a supernatural spin on it, you can come up with things like Z where it's just like, well, maybe he's learning it from some supernatural demon that <laughs> is going to be haunting <laughs> you guys for now. So it, it's kind of just taking, taking a, what's the worst thing that could happen spin on sort of the day-to-day things that I'm living. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned festivals. Did you show Z at any festivals? Uh, yeah, we had our world premiere at Overlook, which is where we had our okay. uh, premiere for uh, Stillborn back in 2016 uh, or 17. I can't remember. But um, yeah, we, we played there and then we played a bunch. Uh, not not really any overseas, but we were able to play like Telluride Horror, which was which was amazing. We played uh, Blood in the Snow in Toronto, which was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, we it's, it's a lot of genre festivals. We played uh, Other Worlds in Austin, and uh, it's you know it's just there's there's so many horror festivals that you can jump onto. It's 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 pretty great. Um, horror Origins. Uh, there was Nightmares. Um, there's one in Vegas where I live that that we played um, uh, Sin City Horror, which was fun. Uh, the festival is so much fun just because these films don't typically go out in theaters. And so when you can get a large audience of, you know, fans of the genre that are there and they're, they're there to support you and everything, it's, they're the best place that you can do these things. So, you know, anytime it's, it's hard to always get out to all of them, but uh, you know, when you can, it's really fun just to sort of meet and, and chat with the people and get, get their feedback directly. Cause you don't get that once it's out in the wild, it becomes a, you know, a, a, a two sentence tweet and people move on. So it's cool to actually kind of, get you know have one to one-on-one chats just like this i mean i love talking about it because you mm-hmm. know you put two years of your life into something it sucks when it's summarized in a yeah that was okay tweet and, <laughs> right, and then right, they yeah. move on with your life it's like two years of my life i just wasted for that uh uh-huh. terrible yeah i, I would uh-huh. rather you hate it than than that uh-huh yeah i always say that too is uh i would think the if someone has some type of emotional response it has to be better than just like an eh response totally. even, even if it is a uh, hatred which on the internet it right. does seem like people it's uh i used to say one of two things but i guess it is one of three things it's either the greatest thing someone's ever seen the absolute mm. worst that they've wasted their time or it is a man there's no there is no like it's it was kind of good or kind of bad it's right uh, it's all yeah, it's just like that was an eight out of ten that was fun right. i enjoyed myself could have been better let's move on yeah it's, it's it's pretty volatile it's uh it's very, uh, it's very, yeah, it's people, like, people get very passionate. Yeah. yeah. That's how, online. Uh, one of the things I'm probably the biggest thing I miss right now is definitely we're going to the movies and the film festivals. Uh, I, uh, mm-hmm. have a lot of fun at the film festival. Yeah, for sure. They're great. So Z is coming to shutter on May 7th, which, uh, mm-hmm. only six days from when we're recording this probably be up today. 
And uh, where can people follow you if they want to see what you're up to? Uh, my Instagram is uh, the Brandon Christensen. Uh, I don't know why I'm doing the dot com thing, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the Brandon Christensen. And then on Twitter, I'm what is my Twitter? It's the Brandon C eighty five because you can't put long names on Twitter. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can follow me. Check it out. Z will be out on Thursday. I'm not sure what time they put the movies up, but. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the response from this because it, I mean, it's been a while since it's played since November, the last time that it's played in a festival. So it's going to be interesting to, to sort of redive into things and get the feedback from everyone. So I hope everyone checks it out. I just, I just occurred to me, you went the opposite of, because uh, that festival, sometimes it comes up that, um, they try to get you to use an A name. So you're at like the top yeah. of search list. You went the opposite route. You went with a Z. We we did. We made it impossible. It seems to be <laughs> my thing is to make films that are, are SEO nightmares, like stillborn. You can't uh-huh. find it. If you Google it, if you search for it on, you know, Twitter or anything, everything's just horrible stillbirth posts. Uh-huh. Cause that's, that's the main thing. Cause <laughs> it doesn't recognize right. the slash in the title. So I, I need to rethink these things sometimes, but shutter, I think is going to be putting it up as a different title uh, okay. with Z wants to play. Like a lot of the trailers that went up, they had that as the name. And I think that'll be, and it does help. Like you can actually search for that. Cause when you put in the letter Z, you get not much. And I, right. I think for any distributor, that's, that's kind of a nightmare. So yeah, the, the whole, I, I definitely went against the grain there because I made it as, as hard as possible to, <laughs> to do yeah. this. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's been, a, been great to talk with you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.